We've been on this series dealing with stress and chaos of our culture. I'm going to tell you, and I just have had these titles ahead of time. This is God's doing a new thing in my life. I never have titles, but this is the third week in a row where I actually have a title for my message. Uh, but I'm going to tell you up front that the message I'm going to give this morning is not the message I planned on giving all week or even actually the last two weeks. Yesterday morning, God, uh, he does this once in a while, and I've asked him not to because it really bugs me, but uh, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't take my advice very often. So uh, it's, it's going to go in a different direction. I want to read a passage of Scripture here that uh, we'll be getting to it in about 15 minutes. Uh, initially, you won't know what it has to do with anything, but believe me, it has everything to do with everything. Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Think about that. We're all equally important before God, but our mode of operation is to regard the other person's issues and concerns as more important than ours. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be seized, to hang on to, but he rather emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He became like we are. I want to pray for this message, and I would like to have some people around the auditorium who will just keep the message covered in prayer. Could you just raise your hand if you're willing to be an intercessor? All right. Nothing happens of kingdom value apart from prayer. So let's just talk to God for a minute. Lord, uh, you surprised me yesterday with the way you took this message, and maybe some of us will be surprised this morning. I don't know, but God, what I do know is that uh, I, I felt, I have felt a part of your eternal heart, an aspect of your eternal heart about this message, and it's huge. It's huge. I can't bear it. Uh, God, I, I just pray that you give me words to, to stutter it out. And more importantly, God, that you anoint those stuttering words, that, that you'll write them into our ears and our hearts and change us, tear down strongholds, liberate us to be a community that manifests everything that Jesus died for, everything that Jesus died for. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And to just change a little bit from that solemn moment, let's watch a little video of a movie clip. Can you run 
right. <laughs> uh, how many men can say amen to that shopping experience? In 1978, there was 11,767 items available in the average grocery store, and that was up tenfold from 20 years earlier. Uh, this last year, there's over 30,000 items in the average grocery store. There's over 200 different brands of cereal, 40 different types of toilet paper. There's 100 times more books published now than there was 100 years ago. Back in 1978, there was four television stations you could watch, uh, and one of them didn't come in very well. Uh, and now, if you have cable, and many of us do, uh, there's at least 70 stations available. Uh, and I'm told if you have satellite dish, there's 1,500 stations available and uh, 3,000 movies per month that you can choose from. We have going, we have our, we are in a, an explosion of options, an explosion of things that are available to us that people throughout history never dreamed of. And we like that. I mean, it kind of feels empowering. We get to choose, you know, we get to find the movie or whatever that's just right for us. But see, with each of those choices, they take time and they add a little bit of stress to our life. You get that satellite dish. Go ahead. How are you going to figure out which of those 1,500 movies you're going to watch? Uh, or 3,000 movies, 1,500 stations. And then, of course, the satellite dish will break, and you have to fix it. That's assuming you ever figured out how to use it in the first place. Um, you know, all of these things, this advance of technology has caused a prolifer proliferation of alternatives, and we have to choose between them. And it adds stress to our life. Uh, Elvin Toffler, who I've quoted quite a bit the last several weeks, he coined this phrase, overchoice syndrome. Overchoice syndrome. We'll, we're deluged with decisions. Do you want it this way, this way, this way, this way, or that way, that way, or, or how exactly do you want it? The proliferation of options and choices and opportunities, while we, on one level, like it, on another level, I don't think it's really made us any happier. In fact, all the evidence would indicate that it hasn't made us at all happier. It's just stressed us out more. There are 10 times as many therapists employed now as there were in 1980. That's saying something. What the proliferation of options and choices that's just on an exponential increase, what it has done is raised the bar of our expectations. Think about it. We're programmed to believe now, at least this attitude is becoming widespread, that we have the right and the ability to have anything just the way we like it. We like it just so. I get my cheese just so, my steak just so. I like to go to the restaurant and choose exactly what I want, how I want it, when I want it. Uh, I, I get my car, I get my house, I wear my clothes. I get everything just so. When I buy a camera, I want to have these speci specific niceties to it. And, and when I get my computer, it's got to be able to do these things. And what we are raising is a culture of very picky people. <laughs> Very spoiled people. We like it just so, and we get to have it just so. We're Americans, for crying out loud. We like our whole life, and this has never been done in history before, but there's this attitude that we get to have life just so. You know, it's sort of like some kind of a uh, ordering station to the universe. We put in our request to the universe, and it's supposed to give us life just so. And we get irate and irritated when it doesn't work out just so. Now, this has a lot of fallout in a lot of areas, uh, one of them being adding stress to our life and, and, and some other issues that I want to talk about 
But here's where God made a left turn for me. Everything I just said right now is what I planned on saying. And then I had a little minor point that became a major point that became the entire sermon, where I really felt the Lord telling me this. Listen, tell them next week how it stresses them out. I want you to tell them this week how it stresses me out. I don't think God really gets stressed, but... But what grieves him about this new development in culture, the part of this that grieves his heart the most, and that is this. When we take our just-so mindset and bring it to church, it completely changes the nature of church and destroys one aspect of God's goal for church, one aspect of God's goal for the kingdom. When we live in this just-so mindset, when we accept the programming of the matrix of our culture and see all of life, including church, as in a just-so sort of way, then what we do is we view different churches as sort of different brand names that are competing for our loyalty. And, and, and the product they're all selling has something to do with Jesus, more or less. But, but uh, uh, the, the, the options are out there for us to choose the church that is just-so, that is to our liking, that is to our preference. And what that does, if we think it through, is this. It sets in motion a self-selecting process where everybody who prefers the same things gets distilled down into the same place. And you end up with an isolated group of homogenous people who all like things just so in roughly the same way. Of course, we never find the perfect church where it's just so according to our liking. There is no perfect church. And if there was, the minute you got there, would no longer be perfect. Ha, 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 we've heard that one before. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we end up with a group of people who think like us, talk like us, sing like us, preach like us, understand the world just like us, live life just like us, have the same issues just like us. Everyone is just like us. And aren't we so comfortable? And we prefer that. We you know, we never have to be inconvenienced, never have to be pushed out of our comfort zone. We like it just so, and we get it just so, and that's how we choose our churches, so it's just so. And the result is, the church as a whole is composed of a multitude. It's like, like a product that becomes, as, like every other product in this culture, increasingly defined, a proliferation of increasingly defined, specified, isolated groups. And you just got to find just the product that you want. Ah, this is where I'm comfortable. And the saddest thing about all of this is that everything I just said now strikes most Americans as totally normal. Of course. I mean, that's how else are you supposed to choose church? If you, you, you go where well, you're comfortable for crying out loud. What's wrong with this guy? You see, there's a reason why 98% of the churches are 98% homogenous. And I'm not just speaking ethnically, I'm speaking on everything. It's because there's this winnowing process by which everyone finds all the people who, are, who share their sameness, who share their just-so mindset. And, and so it's no surprise at all that we've got most whites over here, most blacks over here, most Asians over here, most Hispanics over there. And I'm not talking about legitimate cultural or, or uh, language differences. Well, it, it, the, the separation's caused through style. But the church gets fragmented way beyond that. Because we've got the young church, middle-aged church, old church. We've got the, the uh, rich church, middle-class church, poor church. We've got the, you know, the, the, the traditional church, the non-traditional church. We, 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 you know, we've got the, the tongue-talking church, the non-tongue-talking church, the infant baptism church, the baptism church, the pre-trib church, the non-pre-trib church. And, and it increasingly, just, it's more and more defined because we like it just so. We like our worship just this way and our, our, our preaching just this way, you know, not too long, not too short. And, and the children's church should be just this way. And it's really nice when the 
parking is, oh, you know, they, they have such nice parking arrangements here. And, and the church building should look kind of churchy, but not too ornate. We don't want that. And a little bit of liturgy is really nice, but not, too, oh, no, I see they have a little too much liturgy. We'll go over here where they have just the right amount of liturgy. And everybody is looking for just so. And the result is that the church gets utterly fragmented into isolated, utterly homogenous groups. Some experts actually, some ex- experts actually encourage going with this. In fact, a lot of them do. It's called the homogenous church growth principle, recognizing that people are comfortable and prefer sameness where they're not, they don't have to deal with cultural issues or any other kind of issues. Uh, they say, just go with it. Milk it for all it's worth. Define your target audience and go. Find out what they like, and you just give it to them. Just give it to them. You want to build a church fast and big? Do it this way. And the, the, the reality is, is that, in fact, they're right. That is how you build big churches. You look at most mega churches, and they're at least 98% homogenous. And the end result of the whole thing is that everybody gets exactly the church that they want, except God. Because God, as we'll see here shortly, one of the things that Jesus came to die for was to have a church that's not like that. Now, of course, if you're in rural Minnesota and you've got 500 people and 499 of them are Norwegian, you're not going to have a lot of cultural diversity. Let's, let's, you know, but you can be diverse in other ways. And see, what's happened is the just-so mindset pervades everything. We want total homogenous agreement and no conflict and don't have to work through anything. And see, one, the reasons why God, this is not the church that God uh, is striving for is this. A number of reasons. Number one, it, 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 you never learn how to love in, in, in at least one very, very important dimension when you're in a totally homogenous environment. Uh, it, uh, you never learn. Uh, if you're in a totally homogenous environment, you love the people that are around you and, and everyone thinks like you, talks like you, you know, does life like you. So in loving them, in that respect, you're loving an aspect of yourself. The world can do that very well, but what God wants us to learn is how to love like he loves. And, and learning how to love people who really do life different than yourself, who, who really see things differently, uh, th- that's a greater testimony than loving sameness, which leads to my second point. We undermine an important aspect of our witness to the world when we simply love sameness. Uh, the world can love sameness. Jesus said that one of the uh, primary ways that we are to show the world that Jesus Christ is for real is by our radical love. But they're very capable of loving sameness. It's when we have a love amidst uh, significant differences, now that actually says something. Another thing is that people who are raised in homogenous environments where you're always surrounded by people who are just like you never develop the capacity to do life well with people who are really different from them. They're always nervous about difference. They're always secluded. They don't know how to really fellowship in a relaxed way with people who who maybe have a lot of sin in their life because their homogenous environment is free from that. Christians become too sanitized. (laughs) We don't know how to deal effectively and in a loving, fruitful way with people who are radically different than ourselves. But the other reason, and perhaps the most important, in fact, I'm sure the most important reason why this isn't the kind of church that God desires, is that Jesus died for a different kind of church. There's three reasons why Jesus died on the cross. Two of them are preached pretty frequently. One of them is hardly ever preached. He died to reconcile us to humanity. We, we, we got that one. He died to heal our body, soul, and spirit, to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Most of us have that one. But see, he also died so that in his incarnation, death, and resurrection, 
He might restore humanity back to the place where God wanted humanity to be in terms of our relationship with one another. He died to create a new humanity, a new community, a new way of doing life. He was, therefore, the Bible calls him the new Adam that was the fountainhead of an entire new race of people. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He is our peace. In his flesh, he has broken down the dividing wall. He's talking about cultures here, epitomized by the greatest divide that he knew of, and that was the Jew and Gentile uh, uh, divide. He's broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. Jesus did that in his flesh, that he might create in himself one, one new humanity, thus making peace. Jesus died to, in his own being, uh, bring together, to reverse Babel, to reverse the, uh, the effects of sin in terms of dividing human beings from one another. He died for that. He died to create a new humanity, a kingdom, a community, where the categories of the world and the way of dividing that the world has simply don't apply anymore because they've been torn down, they've been destroyed, they've been abolished, they've been annihilated. The kingdom of God is a kingdom where, where it just doesn't matter anymore whether you're white or whether you're black or whether you're Latino or whether you're Hispanic. It's, it's got to be the kingdom. To the extent that it is the kingdom, it's a kingdom where, it's a community where, it's a humanity where. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you find a way to fellowship together. It doesn't matter whether you're upper class, middle class, or lower class, you find a way to fellowship together. It doesn't matter whether you come from a real pristine, pure background or whether your past is absolutely jaded whether you just spent the last 20 years in prison, it doesn't matter. Not one iota in the community of, of Jesus Christ, the humanity that he died for, those considerations are rendered null and void. The body of Christ, see, we, we need to understand Jesus died for this. Jesus died for this. The reversing of Babel, the bringing together of a people who previously had been separated, he died for this. And if he died for this, the church has got to strive to manifest this. Amen? There's no option here. He shed his blood for this. The community of, of Christ is a community that says out loud in everything we do, all are welcome. It is in no sense an exclusive club. It's, it's, an, it's an inclusive club. Uh, it, it's not exclusive, exclusively white. It's not exclusively black. It's not exclusively Baptist. It's not exclusively religious. It's not exclusively this or it's not exclusively that. It, it's the community that is defined by its unconditional, absolute, passionate, open-armed, no questions asked, invitation to all people at all times. You don't have to be something to be here. Just be you. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be non-religious. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be unmarried. You don't have to be divorced. You don't have to be not divorced. You don't have to be skinny, but you don't have to be fat. You don't have to, you, 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 if you want to be here, then be here and you're included. You're embraced. It's, uh, I actually got a bizarre picture about this. Uh, of a, of a Pac-Man. Uh, like the church is a giant Pac-Man that just gobbles up people. And it's about this bear hug embrace. We just gobble up people. And, and everything that's consistent with the kingdom, we just, you know, take in. And, and, and it changes part of who we are. And everything that's not consistent, we're gradually in the process of, 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 of uh, letting it go. It's a bear hug where you embrace people where they are at. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. The only thing that you need to know is, is if you want to be here, we want you to be here and, and, and we will embrace you. You just got to know what we're about. Here's what we're about. We're about Jesus. We're about Jesus. 
Uh, you just got to know this going into it. We exalt Jesus, praise Jesus, worship Jesus, live for Jesus, preach Jesus. Uh, we're intoxicated with Jesus. He, he's, he's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our Master. He's our King. He's our Redeemer. Uh, you know, and, and if you want in on that, man, come along. You know, we experience his joy, we experience his power, not perfectly, uh, you know, but, but, but we do. We experience his, his transforming presence, his healing power. We experience gradually the sanctifying presence in our life. And, and, and our, our heart is to sacrifice of our time and sacrifice of our talent and sacrifice of our money as we pull it together to work with our Lord to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And, and that's who we are. If you want to hang out with who we are, we want you to hang out with who we are. We embrace you as you are. You don't even need to believe in Jesus to hang out here. You know that? Uh, I, 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 it, even that, maybe you're just kicking the tires. Maybe you're just kind of, intro, maybe you, you just like the feel of the place or the people seem different. You know, there's, there's something here that you just, maybe, maybe you just really like the sermons. Oh yeah, that's what I think you, while you're here. You know what? We're all in process on this one. So we invite you to come along in the process just as you are right now. Uh, we, we give you a bear hug. We consider you one of our own because you know, we're all in process here and no one has the time or the energy or the inclination to become a policeman who's going to be inspecting other people and judging other people because all of us have got got our eyes on the cross where we will receive mercy and transformation in our life. So if you want to be here, come along, join us. We want you to be here. And that is the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. It will look like Jesus. Jesus was the kingdom here on earth. And look who followed him. Man, wherever Jesus went, he had a wide range of people. Uh, they were mostly Jewish because at, at that moment in history, he was uh, going specifically to the Jews to plant the mustard seed of the kingdom. But socially and in every other respect, there was just an incredible diversity he had. He had, you know, his inner circle was kind of dull, overweight fishermen. And, and uh, uh, he, he had prostitutes following him wherever he went. And he had tax collectors uh, following him wherever he went. He had lepers. And, and uh, he had drunkards. He had, he had gluttons. And that's why the religious people, all oh, those religious people, they looked at him and they, they, he, he got a reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard and a womanizer. He's got women all over the place following him. That's not very kosher in the first century. And you know what? Whenever you're doing the kingdom right, people who get life from their religion are going to be mad at you. Just don't, don't be worried about that one. That's good news. That means you're doing something right. And see, that's what the kingdom of God should look like. It's just, there's a lot of life here. There's a lot of love here. There's a lot of mercy here. And everybody's looking for that. And so everybody shows up. And the only thing they had in common is that they're walking with Jesus. You know, they're at their different places in life, but they're looking at walking with Jesus. And gradually, Jesus is influencing them, and they're changing they, they, God's working in, 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 in all of them, and so they just trust that, and, and they're growing at their own pace as they're following Jesus. The kingdom of God should look like the early church. The early church, they understood that Jesus died to tear down the wall of hostility. And so they, they saw it as non-negotiable. We've got to find a way to do this, and it's not easy. Uh, Jews and Gentiles have radically different ways of doing life, radically different understandings of the world, radically different customs. But, but you know what? Jesus died that, that we'd fellowship together, and that will manifest one aspect of why Jesus died when we do it. So it's a non-negotiable. We've got to find a way to do it. We've got to work it out. We've got to find a way to fellowship together. And they did. And so you find in the early church an incredibly multi-ethnic, diverse group of people who've got one thing in common, and that's that they worship Jesus. And out of their love for Jesus and love for one another, they find a way to do life together. That's the kingdom of God. That's the vision of the church. That's doing church God's way, Jesus' way. Now, what's this got to do with, what's his name on the, in the supermarket? Who's the guy? Michael Keaton. Now, what's that got to do with him? What's that got to do with our just-so mindset? And here's where God just hit me between the eyes yesterday morning. 
I tried to talk him out of it. Lord, I don't have time to prepare a whole new sermon. I got four hours to the service. He goes, too bad. Find a way. Here's, here, here's the bottom line. It's utterly, utterly impossible to do kingdom Jesus style if everybody's thinking, insisting on having it just so. The just so mindset is, when, it, when it's applied to church, anti-Christ. It's utterly, utterly impossible. I can't say that big enough. I can't say it in a way that would communicate the slice of God's heart. I felt this. The just so mindset, it invariably and necessarily narrows the church down and distills it into that group which likes this church just so. And the church that likes it that way just so goes over there, and the church necessarily becomes divided into isolated homogenous groups. The just so mindset, what will invariably happen is that the people who are the majority, the people who are in power, they'll just say, well, here's how we like it just so. And so the people in power will start that self-selecting process where everybody who agrees with their just so-ness hangs around, but everyone else, they get the message that they're not really welcome. Of course, you say everybody's welcome. When you put that on your sign outside, everybody's welcome. But, but it's very clear that, that you're welcome as long as you, you like it our way, as long as you do just so our way. Which means if your culture isn't like our culture, then leave that at the door. And if your style's not our style, leave that at the door. And if your preferences are not our preferences, leave that at the door because this is what we're comfortable with. This is what, what, what makes us feel good. And, and so you're welcome, but everything about you is not. Which is saying you're not welcome. Because we are our culture. We are. I mean, that, that's part of who we are. According to Scripture, we need to do just the opposite of that. And now we're coming to Philippians chapter 2. Let me read it again. Because this is, the, this is kingdom heartbeat. This is the, the pulse of the kingdom. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Nothing. But... With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Don't merely look out for your own interests, your own preferences, your own concerns. Look also for the interest of others. That would rarely happen in a totally homogenous environment where everyone you know, uh, has the same interests and same concerns. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, do not regard equality with God something to be seized, something to be grasped. It's mine. I have a right. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I want the message of this to be seared into each of our consciousnesses. So I'm going to paraphrase it in, in, in terms of the message I'm giving this morning. Here's how I would paraphrase it. Do nothing just because it fits your own just-so preferences and makes you feel comfortable or better. Don't insist on having things just so. Rather, humbly consider other people's preferences and concerns as more important than your own. Think like Jesus. He didn't cling to the glory of his divine position. Instead, for our sake, he let go of all of that and became one of us. In fact, he became a servant among us. This is the heart of kingdom thinking. For the kingdom to happen, we have to let go of our addiction to having it just so. 
And those who are most in a position to having it just so, those who are, have the most power to make it just so, are the ones who have to follow Jesus and relinquish that power and be concerned with those preferences, concerns, and issues of those who, 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 who don't have the power to make it just so. This is why Paul, whenever he's bringing kingdom to a new area of life, he addresses the people in power because they're the ones who have the power to relinquish. So, for example, in, in first century marriages, husbands had all the say-so. Husbands held all the cards. The, the wives were, in principle, owned. They were property. They had no rights. The husband had all the rights. So how do you do kingdom in marriage? Well, Paul talks to the husband. And he says this uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. First, he says, submit to one another. He says to the husband and wife, submit to one another. Now, this is no news to the wife. Wives had to submit, okay? So uh, he's not really giving a new instruction there. What's really new about this is he says to the husband, no, 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 you submit as well. He uses the same term. Submit to one another. In other words, instead of this fall that you, realize, you read about in Genesis 3, where the husband and wife are always vying for power, who's going to be in control, who's going to get their way, who's going to have it just so, instead of that, go in the opposite direction. Humble yourself. And then he goes more specifically to the man who's got the power chips, and he says, uh, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's how you use your power. You do it out of love. You do it out of service. Uh, you want to be head of the family? Wonderful. Then you be the first one to give in. You want to be the head of the family? Lay down your life. You come under your wife. Use your say-so to come under her, to hold her up, to win her over. If there's a fight, you be the first one to ask for forgiveness. Take that on yourself. Uh, when, when you want to go different ways, then, then, then you be the one to defer. Prefer, he's just doing the kingdom here. Prefer the interests of your wife over your own and the concerns of your wife as being more important than your own and the struggles of your wife as being more important than your own and the opinions of your wife as being more important than your own. If you want to be in the biblical headship, then that's the way to do it. Okay? That, the world defines being head, having authority, having a power as being over another, being able to have your way, having it just so. But the kingdom is the exact opposite of that. Your power is the power to come under and to replicate what Jesus does. So he talks to those who are in power and applies Philippians 2 and says, lay down your life. Now, how does this apply to us? I'm going to get very practical here. I'm going to shoot very straight. Uh, the Lord just laid this on me. Uh, the culture here at Woodland Hills Church is a predominantly white evangelical culture. I'm, if you haven't noticed, a white pastor and, and uh, started the church 11 and a half years ago and, and it's been all the while uh, dominantly white. Now I praise God that it's, it's moving in a different direction. It's becoming slowly but surely increasingly diverse. But, it, but, but, but the leadership basically you know, makes decisions out of this white evangelical culture. Now, if you are part of white evangelical culture, you don't notice this because our culture is always just normal to us. This is just normal church. This doesn't, we, don't have, we don't have a culture here. We're just normal, you see? And, and that's how it feels when it's your culture. But see, people of color uh, and, and non-evangelicals, people who don't come from religious backgrounds, they notice a lot of things that if you're part of white evangelical culture, you don't notice. And the question that they live in is this question. Am I welcome here? Not just theoretically, but am I Welcome here. And the easy answer is to say, well, yes, you're welcome here, but here's how we do it. Okay, this is the way it's done around here. This is the style we like. This is the thing we prefer. This is yada, 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 which isn't, as I've said before, it's really saying, of course you're welcome here, but you're not welcome here. 
Uh, or you're welcome here on our terms. You're welcome here if you like our just so, or at least you're willing to work with our just so. This is just the way it's done. But leave all your culture, leave all your preferences, leave all of your particular issues at the door. In other words, you can leave through the door if you don't do it our way. But see, if we're going to be biblical, we've got to do the opposite of that. Somebody say amen. amen. If, if, if we're going to be Christ-like, if we're going to be uh, Philippians 2-like, if we're going to uh, ever see manifested the third reason why Jesus died for humanity, we've got to do the opposite of that, which is to say this. Yes, you are welcome. Unconditionally, absolutely welcome. Which means, you know what? We embrace your culture. We embrace your style. We embrace your issues. We embrace the way you sing. We embrace the way you pray. It may be different than the way we do it, but you know what? It's your way of doing it, and, and, and we're going to embrace it, and, and we want you to feel welcome with that. The way you talk maybe isn't the way we talk, you know, but, but, but we want to embrace that. And across the board, we want, we want to say the issues that are important to you, we'll make part of our issues, and the concerns, we make part of our concerns, and the struggles, we make part of our struggles and the imperfections you bring with you because everybody brings a package, don't they? Well, we embrace those as well. You can't theoretically welcome people. You got to just welcome people. You can't theoretically embrace people. You got to embrace people, the whole person, where they are at. And the, the mindset of Philippians 2 is to do just that. And this, folks, will stretch us. It's already stretching a lot of us. Some people have been so far stretched that they've decided uh, this isn't their just so church. Uh, but it will stretch us. But that's a good thing. We're supposed to be stretched. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how, that, 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 that's how we uh, manifest more of the kingdom that Jesus died for. It will stretch us. In case you're getting comfortable, let me shoot a little more straight. I'm a white person, and I love white people. But this is going to stretch a lot of white folks, especially. A lot of Woodland Hills white folks. Because we are really used to having it just so. Now, we don't normally notice that because we never notice our culture. It's just normal. But we're, we're really used to having it just so, especially when it comes to cultural issues, especially when it comes to church. Our whole history is about our having it just so. I'm talking to white folks here. Our Anglo-Saxon European forefathers, when they came to this country, when they discovered America, um, uh, it wasn't like they assimilated a whole lot of the Native American culture. It wasn't like they were really flexible on that one. Rather, we just said, hey, this land, this is how it's going to be done around here. And so in the process, of imposing the white way of doing things, we exterminated roughly 20 million Native Americans and isolated the rest on reservations, breaking treaties left and right to claim their land as ours. And, and we've had it just so ever since. The whole culture has been about, it's a white culture. And, and there's been a subtle belief that it, it should be this way because our way is the best way. It's the superior way. If it wasn't superior, uh, then we wouldn't have won now, would we? We conquered this country fair and square. So we get to say just how it is. And other cultures who come here, uh, they got to deal with us, but we don't necessarily have to deal with them. You can't be a non-white in this culture and not be bicultural. You've got to learn how to, how to do it both ways, but whites don't have to learn how to do that. And I don't say that as an indictment, I just say that as a real thing. And so the, the, the natural inclination is this, where you have a white-dominated culture, is to say, well, of course, this is how it's done. And this is, even, even if it's not superior, it's just the way that we like it. It's the way that we prefer it. And we're not used to being stretched culturally. We're not used to being confronted. We're not used to being inconvenienced. But if we're going to be the kingdom, 
We've got to say that as normal as that seems out in the culture, it's a fallen normalcy and it's not normal in the culture. It's not normal in the church. In the church, we've got to do Philippians too. In the church, we've got to do the kingdom of God. In the church, those who have the chips defer to those who don't have the chips. Which means this. We need to say, we've got to say, we've got to proclaim out loud that all that God, whoever God's bringing here, we embrace them as they are, and it becomes part of who we are. Other biblical guidelines, of course, but it's very, very, very broad. And this is going to stretch us. It means this. As we become more kingdom-like in the third way for which, reason for which Jesus died, we will be stretched. I, I, I believe, I honestly believe in my heart that we have just begun to do this. I feel like we're just beginning to turn a corner, and it will make a lot of people nervous. But it's a beautiful thing. Hang with it. Uh, as we become more kingdom, there'll be more songs that, it's not the way we prefer to do songs, we, being a white person. Uh, there'll be more diversity in that. And maybe the style of preaching will be a little bit different, and we might hear different ways of praying, and we might hear, you know, see people dressed a little different, and we might, you know, and, and, and that may make some uh, feel uncomfortable. It will press our just so button, and know this, the demon of just so-ness will say, well, I don't think I really like this. I want to go someplace where I can have it more my style, more my way, more, more, more to my preferences, and I encourage you not to do that. Hang in there and let yourself be stretched. Reframe not having it your way as a good thing. Because that means there are other people with other ways of doing it that are becoming a part of the body of Christ. And now the blood of Jesus, uh, in terms of the third reason for which he died, finally is not being wasted. This is not easy. It's not easy. If it was easy, churches would be doing it. It's not easy. Which is all the more reason why we've got to do it. We've got, think of it this way. There's enough other ways of doing it. Let's try this one. <laughs> let, let, let's just go for broke on this one. You know, let, let, let's, just, let's just go with it. Uh, but it's not easy. The first major struggle in the early church was on this issue. How do we do this? It's work. You got people in your small groups who are doing life different than you, and, and, and that's odd. And, and it's people saying amen when you're not used to saying amen, and, and, and preachers who are, have a style that you're not used to, and these songs, I can't even find the downbeat on them, and, 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 you know, uh, and other things. But you see, if you hang with that, it's, a, it's not a politically correct thing. It's a way of saying, you're welcome here. We want to incorporate part of who you are into who we are, and it becomes diverse. And it's not easy, but it is beautiful. It is beautiful. If you can press past the just-so demon and just say, I don't need to have it my way. I don't need to feel particularly comfortable here. I, 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 you know, and, and start to see the kingdom being manifested. There's a beauty there that you'll never get to if you're isolated in a homogenous environment. I was at a prayer meeting this recently where a person who's not white and came from a different culture was praying, and it wasn't the kind of prayer I'd pray. It wasn't the style of prayer I'd pray. In fact, I initially didn't like it. I didn't prefer this. Uh, it had a lot of religious language and religious voice, and, and, and I got buzzers about that one. It's like, yeah, you know. Uh, but, and and I, I, I would have an inclination to judge it. Like, oh, that's just phony. That's a religious pomp. You know, my way of praying is better than his. And the Holy Spirit just says, shut up. Uh, you know what? Uh, you're here because of unity, right? And so why don't you just let him be him and bless him and love him and pray for him. In fact, why don't you just listen to him and maybe you'll actually start to like it. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is right. You start to enjoy It's like, that's not the way I've ever thought about doing it. And I, I used to not like it. But you know what? That, that's pretty cool. I've been in services where you have worship bands 
Uh, this is why I like Heart of the Cities. You just get that kind of diversity where, where there's music. It's like, what, what is that? I don't even know what the melody is. But if you, just, if you just relax in it and let it be, then you know what? God blesses you with it. And, and, and you begin to see the beauty of it. And, and there's a little bit more of the beauty of the kingdom beginning to be manifested. And it's a great and it's a wonderful kind of a thing. And that's doing Philippians 2. That's the heart that we need to have in this. And we'll be stretched in other ways as well. If we become a Pac-Man environment where we just embrace people ahead of time, people are hungry for love, people are hungry for the kingdom, uh, you'll have more and more non-believers hanging out here. And they'll take with them all sorts of stuff and issues and lifestyles that, that uh, you know, it, it, it will confront the standard model of the church as a holy club. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and, and there'll be an impulse that will want to say, well, we need to fix them, we need to correct them, we need to do this, that, and the other thing. But you know what? You don't. You don't. Just be glad they're there, pray for them, love them, and walk with them as, you're, as they're in process just like you're in process. God's working in them just like God's working in you. You bless them for that. And see, that, that is a, a beautiful thing. Five years ago, God gave us, I'll close with this, God gave us uh, in a very clear terms, and it's been affirmed repeatedly over the last five years, that we are to be the bridge, a bridge. Um, that we are, uh, that that's our identity, uh, that individually and collectively we're to be a bridge. Uh, we haven't, we weren't ready last year to change our name to that, so our tag is still Woodland Hills Church, but our identity, our name in terms of character, in terms of what God's called us to do, is to be a bridge. And so we're bridging with other churches, bridging the suburb and the city, bridging across economic, ethnic lines. And to be a bridge means this. Nobody gets it just so. A bridge connects two different lands, but it's a third thing. Nobody gets it entirely just so. And that's why it's kingdom. That's why it's kingdom. Those who are in power to have it just so, you defer to those who aren't in power. And you say, and we regard your interest and your issues as more important than our own. Even this message right now that I'm giving, I know that for some white people, it's like, well, why do we need to talk about this? In fact, you know, you bring this up every couple months, which maybe since you're not used to it, it feels like every week. But see, that's because this isn't an issue that, that if you're in normal white culture, you ever have to think about. You have the privilege of never having to deal with this. But people of color live in this stuff. They, they live in this all the time. And this is a huge issue for them. Am I welcome? Most white people never think about that. If you walk into a dominantly white church, you don't worry about whether you're welcome or not. Uh, but they do. And so to do Philippians 2 as a congregation is to say, what are your interests? What are your concerns? What is your way of doing it? Uh, how can we incorporate you and make you feel welcome in this place? I feel like I just want to end with a word of prayer here. If, if you're here this morning and, and something's pulling on your heart that you're saying, you know what? The picture of this kind of a kingdom is something I want to join. And maybe you've been confronted with joining churches before, but this isn't about joining a church or becoming religious. It's about, it's about hopping on board to a kingdom. And if you're interested in doing that, uh, I encourage you to spend a few minutes after the service. And to my right, your left, there'll be a, we have a table up here, and a lady would be, love to explain to you what's involved in that. If you have any uh, prayer concerns or any need in your life, maybe processing this, this message, I encourage you to come forward. We'll have a prayer team up here, and uh, they'd love to spend some time praying with you. I encourage you uh, to uh, take your conversations out into the gathering area so that the people up here can have some time to pray. Uh, that's been an issue uh, sometimes. But could we stand? I want to close in prayer. Father, I just know how, how, uh, 
upstream, not just our culture, but the religious culture, the evangelical culture, how upstream this one is. And uh, God, I know that there's many experts who say that it's suicide. Father, we don't care. Father, we want to follow you. We want to do Philippians 2. We want to be a kingdom people. We want to see the third reason why Jesus died, exemplified in our midst. We want to see it manifested, Lord God. We want to be that all-inclusive, all-embracing, radical community uh, that you called the church to be, God. Uh, it is radical, but Lord, uh, we know that there is no non-radical version. <laughs> not, not any non-radical version that you like. And Father, our aim is to please you. So we pray, Lord God, that you inculcate in, in all of our hearts a Philippians 2 mindset. God, stretch us, make us flexible, uh, collapse our just-so demon inside of us, God, and, and help us to shut off the judger and accuser in our brains, to just relax in the difference, Lord God. And I pray, God, that as we do this, as we just follow you, Lord God, that you will add unto the church daily, as many as should be here, Lord God, and build your kingdom. Your, uh, help us to become the sneak preview of the multi-ethnic, incredibly diverse, beautiful, multifaceted body that you came to die for and to rescue for yourself. Help us to carry that love out into the gathering area and into this world. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Make each other feel welcome out in the gathering area. You don't have to leave right away. The altar's open if you have any prayer needs whatsoever. And seeing is believing is on sale in the bookstore. God bless you guys.